Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I could just feel the presence of God here this morning. And uh, you don't need to worry about using Visine when you come to church because usually your eyes get pretty well watered when you love something so much that it stirs an emotion in your heart and that you do what you do because you love to do it and not out of duty and you look at your creator and you don't understand all that he is and why he does exactly what he does but nonetheless you love him anyways so this morning I just um, this is a memorial day service And if I were to ask you the question, does everybody here know what Memorial Day stands for? There may be some that might not be able to answer that. They just say, well, it's a Memorial Day. I don't understand. But it stands for, it's a time of remembering for all those that gave their life for a cause of freedom. It's more than fancy parades. It's more than just a flag, even though the flag isn't so important because that was the thing that guided so many people into battle. But as I told our our song leaders this morning and our musicians, I said today is a memorial day for all those that have gone before us in the church. A day of remembering all those apostles that gave their lives so that they could spread the gospel throughout the world. All those people through the dark ages that stood up for the truth, even though that they were burned at stake, they were killed. Those today that suffer persecution, like we heard on Wednesday, that sneak out into the forest and have services knowing that it's against the law for them to do so. People that hold fast to the faith. But I want to tell you this morning as I start my my message, freedom, and I know you've heard this before, is not free. Praise God. Before I do that, I... And I know this may be just out a little bit, but I am so proud of an outreach that we have here at this church. It's a pretty unnoticed outreach because it happens way on the other side of the building and sometimes people aren't really aware of all the lives that are affected, but there are people here this morning because of it. Our food pantry... um, started out as a dream as just maybe helping people in the community and also being able to help other people in the church. But the number of lives that have been affected, I wish every one of you could go back there at one time or another and volunteer and watch, watch people as they load groceries or as their groceries are loaded into their cars. And the words that they express and the members of our church that come and ask, do you mind if we we need a little help. And we could say, yeah, we can. We can help you. We're averaging right now. I went back last Sunday. We had a line outside the door. Or last, yeah, last Sunday. People standing and milling around. And Friday, this Friday was the same. We're averaging nine to ten families every time we're open. That's not counting the people that come from our church on Wednesdays. I want you to get your calculator out. We'll see who the magicians, mathematicians, magicians, mathematicians are. 75 pounds to 80 pounds, we weigh everything that goes out. Everything goes on the scale. We keep track of everything that comes in and everything that goes out. About 80 pounds of groceries per family. Figure it out. 10 families per time. That's, let's see, I got my paper on 800 pounds, I think. 
And you figure we're open two times a week. That's, let's see, that's 1,600 pounds a week. And there's four weeks. Now, if I'm doing good, 6,400 pounds, right? You may think it's insignificant, but to the people that receive it, it isn't. I'm sure there's going to be people grilling some brats this Memorial Day that wouldn't have been able to have brats and chicken otherwise. And you're a part of giving. It's your food pantry. It's your church. And I want you to be so proud of it. I know I am. Because I know that the Lord was important enough to the Lord to feed those that were hungry and not just send them someplace else. So praise God. I want to get back to my message though. Freedom not being free. Every one of us knows the scripture in John 8 verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I want you to notice the noun there is son. It's if, if the Son of God, if Jesus Christ makes you free, you'll be free. But freedom only comes through Him. Praise God. In 2 Peter, Peter's writing, and he talks about the days that we live in. And I want to read, if we could, 2 Peter verse 1 through 19. If we could put that up. 2 Peter 1 through 19. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Notice that. The truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now for a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Nobody likes to be thought of being made merchandise of. In other words, being used. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed they are, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before their Lord." But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. I, I don't know if you're picking up these things that I'm, as I'm reading them. 
speak evil of the things that they understand not. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. But these is not, but, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. They that counted pleasure to riot in the daytime, spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb donkey speaking with man, a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from, the, from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. I'm looking at verse 18 again, and I'm reading from a different version. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, by, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. That's why the Bible says we must preach the word of God in season and out of season. We need to strive for the faith and not get lost in, the, in liberty. Now, I'm going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. I think about our country, the hard, difficult days of World War II when men left our shores and traveled across the ocean who went because they believed in a, in a message and in a cause and in the cause of freedom. They felt the tyrannies of communism rob people of their freedom and they decided that they were going to do something about it and they did at a phenomenal cost. And because of that, we enjoy a remarkable freedom in this country that no other country has. But I want to tell you there are limits to liberty. Liberty is not, however, the absence of restraints. I want you to think about it. Liberty is not the absence of restraint. People say, if I can just get rid of the restraints, I can be what I want to be. And I can just do what I want to do. I can do whatever feels good. But that breeds anarchy. When you go back into the Old Testament and you look at the period of the, the judges, it says that when every man did that which was right in their own eyes, according to their liberty, Israel fell into abomination. Liberty without restraints breeds, again, like I said, anarchy. Now, anybody like those television games where those, they ask you questions? All right, ready? This man was a leader in our early fathers, in the early part of our country. 
His name was John Winthrop. Does anybody know what part of our history he played? Oh, you forgot that back when they taught history in public schools, we studied about this. John Winthrop, he was one of the leaders in the, the colony that was established back in Massachusetts. John Winthrop with the pilgrims, remember? Those people that traveled over from Europe were so excited that they had escaped religious bondage and they had made it to a land where they could be free. But many people began to abuse the freedom. And another person comes into play. And if you would have known John Winthrop, you probably would know this guy as well. His name's Roger Williams. Do you remember? All right, this is for $5,000. <laughs> Sally, will you bring it up, the question? The question is, Roger Williams became the head of what religion in our country during the days of the pilgrims? <laughs> Puritans. What happened is, Roger Williams didn't like the restraints that, was, that were being enforced by John Winthrop. He felt that everybody had a choice to do and worship in any way they pleased. Roger Williams was, he taught tolerance. <laughs> Have you heard that word lately? Tolerance, we have to be tolerance. He was put on trial, and guess what? He was banished. He taught that the pilgrims should not try to convert the Indians to Christianity. They had a right to believe whatever they wanted to believe. He settled in the area of Rhode Island and found the city of Providence. And I find that word used so often lately, the word tolerance, in conjunction with freedom. But I want to emphasize freedom without restriction is anarchy. I should remember that. Now for $500, oh, I like this. What Supreme Court justice made this statement, and it wasn't long ago, certainly we have freedom of speech, but your freedom of speech has limits. You are not free to shout fire in a crowded cinema you can't say anything you want. Shout it out. Who was it? Oliver Wendell Holmes. Well, you, you, you say, well, sure we have freedom. And you can wave your arms in the air and you can shout and do all that stuff. But when your hand comes in conjunction with my nose, that's where freedom stops. Freedom has limits. What are we going to do with our freedom? He who the Lord sets free is free indeed. And the, I think the Christian needs to understand truly what freedom is in relationship to his walk with God. Of course, we have civic freedoms. We can meet here today and not have to be worried about breaking the law. We can, we can worship God. We can hand tracts out on the street. Those are civic freedoms. I'm not even going to ask you to know this guy because he's, I, I never heard of him until I did some studying here. In 1774, a man called Nathan Niles... Now, was anybody around then? He wrote this by, neg he wrote, listen very carefully, 
by neglecting to embrace the gospel, we convert civil liberty, which is in itself a delicious kind of food, into a slow poison. He wrote that in 1774. And if there is ever a day in which we're seeing that poison, that corruption, come to pass, it's today. Let me read it again, because it's worth reading. By neglecting to embrace the gospel, which our country seems to have purged from its system, we convert civil liberty, which is in itself a delicious kind of food, into a slow poison. Has anyone looked at the, at the, the status of our nation? Has anyone cared to examine the medical aspect of our, our health in our civil liberties? It's turned into a poison. When they kicked God out of schools, when they kicked him out of government, all of a sudden things started to poison humanity. What was, done in the, what was done in the realm of civic liberty became the thing that will actually destroy our nation. That's a chilling thought. But we're confronted with that in the days we live in. Freedom has its price, and we forget it at our own peril. Let's go back and look at Peter's second epistle. He's addressing a serious issue. He says that historically, as far as the children of Israel were concerned, they always had false prophets. There was a succession of false prophets. If you had a true prophet, you could be sure somewhere along the line there would be a false prophet. But he says in our day, it's not going to be prophets. In our day, he says in our days, we have false teachers. And he goes on to give some straightforward things about these false teachers they, and how they suggest things to people to convert them to their heresy. Second Peter 2.17, these false teachers we have to be on guard against. The, he refers to them as springs without water and mist driven by a storm. And notice this. For people that teach those to go in air, blackest darkness, the blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of our sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Think about that. Whatever masters you, you're a slave to it. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it impossible that you can live in an arena of freedom and living in that arena of freedom that you're living in, like today, is it still possible for you to be in bondage? (laughs) let's put that up on the board living in the arena of freedom that we are living in today is it still possible for us to be living under some type of bondage you know I've heard people talk about going to prison I don't mind going back what do they call it three hot meals in a cot I don't have to worry about getting up to go to work in the morning. It's great. 
he's, he feels that he is free from the obligations and the responsibility of earning a living. But yet he's still in bondage in his cell. Now it's true that uh, we can be free from the responsibility to work, but still be in bondage. You know, I used to look at the dog in the morning when I left over work. And when we had a cat, I looked at the cat too. And I was jealous. I really was. I was tired. I really didn't want to crawl out of bed in the morning. And I looked at the cat laying on this nice, comfortable blanket with no care in the world. All it had to worry about was, well, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to wander over to the fridge and eat out of my bowl, have a little drink of water, maybe wander over to the litter box, and then I'm just going to maybe play with my little mouse and crawl back in my bed. What a wonderful life. You ever feel that way? You wonder who's the master and who's the slave when you're feeding your dog and he's doing nothing. But let me ask you the question. You think the dog is living in freedom, but truly he's living in restriction or bondage. He's still relegated to the house into the property. He's not free to go wherever he wants. You ever hear someone say, I want to be free as a bird? Well, birds aren't free. They're relegated to the air. They, they can only fly in the air. That's the only place they can operate efficiently. Or look at the fish. They can only live in the sea. They're not free to do whatever they want. So when we look at nature itself, we see that freedom still has restriction. There are people that despise restriction in regard to freedom. Those people in our country are breeding complete anarchy. And it's, I'll to be honest with you, it scares me half to death as I see the progression in which it goes. But don't you think for a second that God won't remember those that have robbed the church of its freedom. These people despise the ultimate authority. The idea that there is a God who's in charge. They hate the idea that there's an ultimate authority. They hate the idea that there's a final judgment. They absolutely resist the idea that there is an eternal accounting for the way that you live your life. They live under that guise of freedom. There's nothing like the freedom that says I'm not accountable. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter how I treat people. The person who lives on the basis of this is living in terrible air. And people are trapped today in this air of teaching. Yes, they are. There are people that have believed this lie and have assumed that they are totally free to do whatever they wish to do without any ultimate consequences, and yet they fail to realize they are living in the bondage of air. They're living under the bondage of a lie. One of the things that's most frustrating to me is in all the years that I've worked with at the Regencies and at, at, in, in, in the job that I do, that I can work with people that have a, a, such a, a love for God, 
a seemingly love for God. And we can have so much in common and we can talk about how great God is and the grace of God and the mercy of God. But when it comes to truth, it seems like when it comes to the the realms of of salvation, the born-again experience, it seems like a wall goes up and it seems that that's where the relationship ends. And I can't seem to break the barrier. It's not that they're not showered with love. I'm a loving guy. And they love me. I'm the only place that I go to work and people stand up in line to hug me. What, what better job? Do you get hugged at work? <laughs> Uh-oh. Don't tell your wife. But it's... But when it comes to trying to bring them from error into the truth that will bring them away from the consequences of evil teachers, people that teach the word of God knowingly, knowing that what they're teaching is not true. And they bring into bondage those that are trying to escape from judgment. And I told you how God feels about that and what's reserved for them for the false teachers. They're given so many promises that are empty. I think about how Peter mentions there are springs without water and, and they're mist driven by a storm. And I thought about the word picture here. You're living in the Middle East. Ever anyone ever been out to Israel before? It's not, it's not like going to northern Wisconsin by any means. It's sort of like a desert place. I don't think there's a lot of rainfall there. And when I was there, it, 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 I'd be honest with you, I didn't find the, the environment that attractive. I love trees and grass and that. It's very, a very arid climate, and water is in short supply. So when Peter's writing this, the word picture that we see, it's, it's like someone that is extremely thirsty, living in this arid climate, looking for a spring that can satisfy their thirst. And when they come to the spring, there's nothing there. I don't know how you'd feel. It's like chasing an illusion. I'm trying to think of what, what do they call those things? Mirage. Have any of you ever seen a mirage? Have any of you been never driving and you saw water on the road? It, it looked like water and you were in an arid climate and you could swear it looked like water? It's a mirage. And that's what Peter's saying. It's, it does not hold anything that's profitable. Jeremiah 2, it's a great book. He says God's people have committed two fundamental sins. The first one is they have forsaken the Lord. The second is that they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, and have hewn out for them cisterns which cannot hold water. Two fundamental sins. They've forsaken God and they've tried to bring a source of nourishment or a sustenance from a place other than God. This is the one who will turn away from the source of life and the meaning and fulfillment and substitute it with cisterns or with things which cannot hold any water or truth at all. And I want to sort of wind down a little bit this morning those are the, these are the days in which we're living in. 
where false teachers are leading people into bondage and error, who will lead you into the bondage of emptiness. And they promise you things that you cannot, they cannot deliver. Well, how, how do we escape the bondage? How do we escape this bondage of air? It's through one person and one person alone. For the, who the Son sets free, who's the Son? Jesus. For who Jesus sets free is free indeed. Do you ever wonder why all the apostles concentrated so heavily on the name that was above every name? There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Remember? And then they said, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. How it was always focused on the Son of God, the Lamb of God, Christ our hope, Christ our resurrection. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's our hope over death. He's the resurrection. How everything centered around the Son. God manifesting himself in a body, providing redemption for a lost world to break them from the bondage of sin and give them liberty through his name. Through his name. In the name of Jesus, you shall cast out spirits. In the name of Jesus, you shall pray, and the dead will be raised. Whatsoever you do, do it all by the authority and the power of the Son of God, and his name is Jesus. One of the ways to separate yourself from heresy and to be able to tell, the, to tell the fabricated from the true is to go back and see if they put the fullness of deity in Christ Jesus. Because my Bible says, the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in Christ bodily. Anyone that denies the fullness of the deity of Jesus Christ teaches fantasy, or they're leading you to a well that does not hold water. I, it's, it's so amazing to me that when we, we, we talk about things uh, that so are, are so important in our salvation, that many false teachers will come along and, and they'll tell us things that are in direct contradiction to what Scripture says, and people will believe the promises of the false teachers and turn away from the truth. Now, they, they say they do that in liberty. But really what they're doing is they're bringing in bondage something they can't deliver. You know, you ever talk to a salesman and he tells you, you know, if you do this, I'll give you that, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you that, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you that. And how much of the stuff do they actually truly deliver when it's all said and done? They promise you the moon. And, and they, they, just, they just can't deliver all the things they promise. So anyways, we, we go back and I, I look at the most important thing to us today is the point that we start out on in our walk for God. Because if you don't start out at the right place, your, your whole destination is going to be askewed. Jesus told Nicodemus, when Nicodemus was trying to find out what the truth was, and he came to him at night, Jesus told him, he says, hey, listen, Nicodemus, I'm not going to get into a discussion about my teaching or about this or that. I'm just going to give you the bare facts because if we don't start here, you won't be able to understand what I tell you further on down the road. You've got to start here. Unless you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, is that hard to understand? It's pretty, it's sort of like black and white. You've got to be born of water and of spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's 
fleshly, that's earthly. That which is born of the spirit, that's, that's spiritual or heavenly. Not hard to comprehend. But Nicodemus, because he's got the mindset of the world, answers Jesus and said, does that mean I must be, go back into my mother's belly? Well, that's silly. Can you imagine that? 200 pounds. You think eight pounds was tough. No, that's ridiculous. And, and we know it's ridiculous. Then when he was trying to tell Nicodemus, you need the spirit of God to understand the things that I teach. My spirit is truth. My spirit is life. But the Holy Spirit, whom the Father shall send in my name, shall reveal all these things to you. So what does the enemy try to do to stop the church from enjoying the true freedom of God? If he can stop the spirit of revelation, the spirit of truth, from entering into the heart of the believer, he can lead that person easier into deception. I, I, I know that that conversation was shared amongst the disciples and Jesus probably shared it with the 12. And on the day of Pentecost, when, when it all broke loose, 50 days after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, on the day of Pentecost, when they were all gathered together in one place, in one accord because Jesus told them not to go anywhere or to do any teaching or to do any preaching or to do any evangelism because if they were going to evangelize correctly, they needed the spirit of revelation that would come through the spirit he would give them. Acts 1 and 8 says, and you shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you shall be witnesses of me in Judea and Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What he was saying is, the key to evangelism is, is not only the act of redemption of your sin through baptism of your flesh, but it's the regeneration of your spirit. Because you're a threefold being, salvation has to affect all three parts of the human, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Baptism only cleanses the filth or the stain of sin. The Holy Spirit regenerates the soul of the believer inside and gives him the ability to do what? To discern. Ever have anybody say something? You say, it just doesn't sound right. I don't understand it, but that, that, that I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to buy that. There's something uneasy. Or you walk, after you've had the Holy Spirit for a while, you start to walk into situations and you feel uneasy and your spirit is quickening you and telling you, no, 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 no. That's why Jesus said, you've got to be born of the Spirit because you're going to be walking into an evil world with false teachers who are going to make boastful promises. So that when, when those Jews came to him on the day of Pentecost, all these crazy Jews, 120, and you can believe what you want, but I'm going to tell you, I wholeheartedly believe that they received... The, the Holy Ghost, not in an upper room on the day of Pentecost. I believe they were where every good Jewish male should have been on Pentecost morning. They were at the temple in the outer courts. This was a feast that people traveled all the way from other countries for, the feast of Pentecost. They were at the temple. They weren't having eggs and bacon in the upper room. They were praying and they were in one accord on that day and suddenly a sound came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and there were clay and cloven tongues like a fire and it sat upon each of them. They heard it. 
They saw it. And then they started to speak in tongues. They'd never learn. Threefold, they saw, they heard, they spoke. And on that day, the power and the presence was so great that Peter got up and preached to those 3,000 men, or maybe more, probably more, that were around the temple area. And he told them what had happened because they marveled that all these people were doing the things they were doing. They had great joy. I mean, if you can picture a a three-year-old in a 60-year-old body after he's ate three red popsicles. You all know what I'm talking about. Like little Jonathan, he... He can't stop. He's the energizer bunny. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, the Bible says it quickens your spirit. You can't help but be excited. You can't keep your mouth shut. Now you sit in that chair. I don't want you to move. That's like telling an atomic bomb to be confined itself. You know what the first thing that happens when they're sitting on a chair? What part of their body starts moving? The knee. And then the other knee. And pretty soon, oh, I got to get out. I can't stand it anymore. But I want to tell you, when God fills you with the Holy Ghost, you won't be able to stop preaching. You won't be able to stop talking. You won't be able to stop loving people. Because it gives you the ability to see. Well, you know, those people were confused that they know they knew how the high priest felt about the sect of Christ. They just killed him. The high priests were responsible for secretly taking Christ during the Passover in the preparations for Passover. Do you know that? while people were at the temple preparing their lambs for Passover on that day, that's when they snuck Jesus out and they took him down to the cross because if they would have done it publicly, there would have been a revolt. That was on the, they were preparing the lambs for sacrifice in the evening and they killed Christ. Now we've got all these believers speaking in tongues in the outer court. Holy cow. Can you imagine, Annas? Oh! I got rid of one fanatic and look what I've got left. I've got 120 of these guys. Well, guess what, Annas? Peter's going to stand on a chair and he's going to start preaching about the one that you guys killed, you're responsible for killing in the very temple in which you reside, and 3,000 people are going to respond to Peter's preaching, and they're going to say, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's going to stand up. If you want to be a Christian, he's preaching in the temple. You need to repent. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you need to receive the Holy Ghost. In other words, you got to be born of water. you got to be born of spirit. And guess what? When the call came, all those that want to be baptized today, will you please raise your hands? <laughs> Would you take two steps forward, please? 3,000 people in one morning, in one place, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, receive liberty from the bondage of the priest that had tried to dilute them and tell them that Christ was a heretic. The sun sets free. I find it even more exciting because if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you go a couple chapters later, 
And in 3,000, it's 5,000. So to, to sum this up, this morning, there are going to be people that are going to try to lie to you and they're going to appeal to your flesh. But first of all, let your spirit do what it was designed you to do and discern it and realize that you have one master and that is Christ. And yes, the world is changing, but if we, we can always remember the principle that the sun sets free and the sun keeps free, we won't have to be afraid. Let's stand together. What a Memorial Day. Lord, don't let me forget. Don't let me forget where I've been. Don't let me forget the price that was paid for the, the salvation that I enjoy. Help me to stop listening to people that are trying to lie to me. Promising, making promises to me that they can't deliver. The old gospel message that was preached back in those brush arbor days is still the same old gospel message that will get you to heaven. There's nothing new under the sun. And really remember that the absence of submission to God breeds anarchy. Lord Jesus, as we open this altar this morning, I pray that you would touch our minds and our hearts. Help us to understand, Lord. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 265-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.